When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello! I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, the show where we help you through the midlife, the menopause, motherhood, and everything in between. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what exactly is going on with your child's hormones when they reach puberty and understanding why, oh why, it is that they turn from these scrumptious edible little ones into smelly, non-communicative airheads seemingly overnight, plus what you can do to help them through this tsunami. And we'll also be discussing an issue that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, female pain, something women suffer an awful lot of during their childbearing and perimenopausal years and we'll be tackling the link between cancer and HRT. Yes, I think there's a huge disparity between the way men's and women's pain is managed. Um, It's even described as a a feminist issue. And we're going to be talking to Katie Taylor, founder of Latte Lounge website, about her experience of having had 10 operations in her lifetime, as well as her father, Professor Michael Baum, who has pioneered cancer treatments for breast cancer sufferers. First, though, (laughs) Trish... Tell the listeners about what you've been doing this week, which I don't know whether it's it's politically incorrect. Okay, so I had a little evening this week where I ended up watching the TV programs that my son and my husband quite often watch together, which I'm just not interested in because it's like about things like motorbikes and aeroplanes and, and all of that stuff. Yes, yes. And then I yes, yes, yes. And I um actually got rather gripped by this one particular program because it had a really hot guy in it. Um it was about <laughs> motorbikes. Uh, it was on BBC Two and it's this guy called Titch Cormack who um I don't know, he just made me very interested. What, what about Titch? Well, he's got very the nice, unlikely Titch. The unlikely Titch is not a Titch, obviously, at all. He's a great big hunk of a guy. And but you feel all warm inside. Yeah, Trish. and he used to be in the SAS, which then when Neil and my son sat down to watch SAS Who Dares Wins, I thought, well, I'll have a little look at that as well. <laughs> and that was equally as appealing. I, mean, I don't know. What what do you think? Is it a bit well, ogling you know. men who are either <laughs> my age possibly younger than me? Is I don't know. Right? Is it wrong? Know. What do you think? Um, well... You know about my Instagram following of personal <laughs> trainers. <laughs> we have this thing in our house which has been going on for 15 years. It's actually quite funny. So Steve Baxhall, who oh, yes. used to present Deadly 60, where he would wrestle an animal or stick his head inside a crocodile's mouth. I used to watch a lot of that with the children mm. because often he had to take his top off <laughs> to do uh, the aforementioned wrestling. And every time it was on, I used to shout, Take your top off, Steve! <laughs> Uh, consequently, Mabel, my youngest, calls him, take your top off, Steve. So when he was on Strictly, she would say, take, take your top off, Steve, is on Strictly. Oh, so I don't know a lot, though. He had a lot of very sheer tops. Well, I don't know if it's clingy. a later in life thing for me or whether it's just know. actually something I've always done. Know, I'm a get... big fan of The Rock, Dwayne oh, Rock yeah. Johnson. It's the only reason I went to You've got to a, see, a full-size yeah. cardboard cutout of him in your office. a full-size life-size cardboard cutout of the rock. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think we've got to get our thrills where we can these days. (laughs) Onwards. Onwards.
Now it's time to welcome our guests. Katie Taylor is founder and CEO of the website Latte Lounge. It started as a Facebook group, but it's now a virtual coffee shop with hundreds and thousands of women, I think, actually, Katie, sharing their midlife experiences. She formerly worked in PR and marketing. She is the mum of four children, and she's here today with her father, Professor Michael Baum, a pioneering breast cancer specialist. Welcome, Katie and Michael. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for coming in. We've got such a good story which I think will be so helpful for our listeners between the two of you, because you had quite an extraordinary menopause and perimenopause story. Mm. And your father is kind of a medical hero. He's, um, I think the figure is, I read it yesterday, you reduced the number of breast cancer cases by 30%. Our work reduced mortality from breast cancer by more than 30%. That's extraordinary. By introducing yeah. tamoxifen and other drugs. I'll just say thank you for yes, many, the many women, women UK for that. You. Yes, so I think um, we would start talking to Katie about kind of your journey and the Latte Lounge and what it does and how helpful it can be for women. Yeah, so, so basically a, a little bit of history. I was 43 years old, mum of four kids, working part-time and, and coping really, really well. You know, my friends used to say, I don't know how you do it with four kids and I actually loved it and managed to juggle life really pretty easily. Um, and what happened was I, you know, I used to walk the kids to school and then go to work or whatever I was doing. And I just remember one day, you know, my friends would joke that I'd forget a word and say, oh God, you're always forgetting words. Um, and then I just started feeling really tired and uh, moody. And the first visit to my doctor after about six months, they said, look, you're very, you're, you're exhausted, but you're juggling a lot, you know, four kids running at home, working you know, maybe you should take it easy, maybe reduce your hours, that kind of thing. So, you know, I started feeling sort of anxious and I'm not an anxious person, I've, you know, and heart palpitations. And, and then this sort of overwhelming feeling of walking in treacle, almost feeling stuck in the mud. So it's like dragging something behind you all yeah, the time. Yeah, you know, even making oh, fish fingers was an effort, you know, and I think, oh, you're a terrible mother, you know, your kids mm. have been at school all day, why can't you... Just put some mm. fish fingers in the oven, for God's sake. So I, I went back to the doctor again. And I'd actually, over a period of four years, I'd been back and forward, I would say, half a dozen times. And they just said, look, we think you're suffering from depression. And antidepressants just numbed me. So in fact, I didn't feel any better on those. So cut a long story short, after about four years of just feeling like I just wasn't happy or coping or managing, I remember going around to see my dad and just burst out crying. And I said, I just think I'm going mad. You know, mm. I'd been sent for heart tests. I'd been sent for maybe I had early onset dementia. Dad said, I think this is hormonal. I actually don't think this is depression. And he sent me to see um, a gynecologist who, a colleague of his at UCH. And Within half an hour of taking, you know, listening to me and my symptoms, she said, well, it's classic perimenopause. Once she explained it, I was like, oh, my God. Well, I didn't learn this at school. Yeah, I didn't know anything yeah. about this. Um, so she offered me um, HRT. Um, How did you feel about that? I was, I, was, I was desperate for anything. I said, if it will make me feel better. So that's sort of seven years ago when there was peak scare stories about it. Yeah, HRT. look, luckily, you know, I've got a world expert on breast cancer. The world expert, yes. yes. The world expert, <laughs> trying to be modest, um, <laughs> on my doorstep. And I, I talked all the sort of pros and cons through with Dad. And it was, 
you know, it was a no-brainer. Was it something that had crossed your mind and you hadn't said anything to Katie or were you surprised she asked? uh, When she came to talk to me and described her symptoms, I had no difficulty whatsoever in diagnosing the problem. And just to backtrack a bit... I'm a professor of surgery. I'm an expert on breast cancer. People think, oh, well, that means you spend your time taking off breasts. That's the last thing I do. My prime concern was looking after the the woman, the woman's health in toto. I, I became famous as the soft touch for HRT, and it was nothing about soft touch. I was seeing so many women who mm. uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer or treated for breast cancer who happened to have these symptoms. So I was primed to recognize the symptoms and also I was primed to know how to make it better. Yes, yeah. But did you, were you surprised that the medical profession that Katie was seeing, the, the GP I guess, I, and we don't want to blame GPs because yeah. they have very little training on this, had not worked this out? Because I guess you must, if you're a GP, you've got to be seeing women coming in more than once with these symptoms. Yeah. No, I feel... Uh, sympathy for the GPs because the symptoms are classical depression, anxiety, depression symptoms. Well, they are anxiety, depression, but that isn't the fundamental diagnosis. In this case, it's a consequence of estrogen deprivation. If someone has thyroid deficiency, you give them thyroxine. If you've got estrogen deficiency, you have to seriously think about replacing the estrogen. I went from zero to 10 and it was shocking. I mean, I remember going to, I think I went to see the theatre or comedy show or something. And it was the first time I'd laughed out loud in four years. And my husband said, oh my God, where have you been? That's so sad, isn't it? The minute I got home, I sat on my bed crying with relief for a change. And I turned to Facebook because I wanted to discuss what had happened. So I set up a Facebook group for women over 40. And that night I had 2,000 member requests. Everyone was saying the same. Oh my God, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I thought, well, this is mad. Within a year, you know, we just had thousands of members join to talk about midlife problems. And I think because I'm my father's daughter, I felt this massive sense of responsibility that I couldn't let people give bad advice to women and say, oh, try this, try that. You know, dad's always brought me up to, you know, everything has to be evidence-based. So I got, you know, medics and bloggers. um, And that's really, you know, how the website began. I think one of the things we wanted to explore through this is is the element, you've had several operations Mm. as well, um, and the element of women dealing with pain this is a part of your life where everything is a bit more raw, I think. Mm. Um, everything emotionally and physically is more. Just talk us through what you went through surgically. Well, um, my first baby had to be cesarean. It was an emergency. Um, and unfortunately, after that, you know, they, they let me try and have a natural birth with my second, but that ended up as a cesarean. So once you've had two, you all four were Yeah, I had four C-sections oh, after you? two emergency, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I had whale music in a... A bath and everything ready to go. Oh. <laughs> didn't happen. No, it no. did not. <laughs> it just didn't pan out. Sometimes it doesn't. You've, yeah. you've had 10 operations, haven't you, oh in my your gosh. lifetime? Yeah, so. I actually wrote a blog called Hollow Inside for the website <laughs> because having always prided myself on being very healthy, I think I've I've seen a downward spiral from <laughs> not just the cesareans, but I've, I mean, some of them I won't mention. But um, 
Yeah, and I think, you know, you're talking about pain is so interesting because, you know, you have to get on with it again. So actually, I just thought, well, I can't tell people I'm in pain. That That's a gender thing, isn't it? Do you it? Think, I think? I think so. I think there's a yeah. gender bias around what women are expected to deal with because they deal with childbirth. And and this is something Dad, I mean, he'll tell you more, is passionate about because actually I remember him, I called him one night crying after one of my operations saying, I'm in so much pain. And he marched down to the hospital. It was, you know, a local NHS hospital and said, this woman should not be in pain. It's um, mm. But there are, there are statistics that show that uh, pain is dealt with differently for, for men and women. You know, from the age of like 13, when we start having periods, we're expected to... In, in you know endure pain you know with monthly abdominal pain and Michael from your point of view um, you said that your work really was motivated but motivated by the terrible pain that you saw your mother suffering when she mm. had breast cancer and you developed a treatment that was very much uh, uh, intended to reduce the pain that women feel during treatment the problem is women have to face up to pain more often than men have to face up to pain through childbirth and other things now my mother died in 1973 in agonizing pain inadequate analgesia and i was naive enough at that time to believe the uh, receive wisdom that you can't give them too much morphine because it will stop them breathing that is now proven wrong the problem with pain control is too little, too late. The next milestone was I was appointed professor of surgery at King's, King's College Hospital, King's College London. And not long after that, I, I flew to New Zealand and back to give a lecture. And as a consequence, I developed prolapsed thrombosed hemorrhoids. And Ooh, that sounds they were very, very painful. painful. <laughs> <laughs> Can so you not I get them with childbirth as well? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to say, but yeah. I had them. Yeah. Yeah. I might raise you on that pain. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to go into a hospital as a professor of surgery because then they start doing special things to you and the last thing you want is anything special. <laughs> and so I took myself off to the London hospital where there was an expert in bottoms and I had the operation. It went very well, but there was no analgesia and I was in agony. So analgesia means pain relief. Pain kid, sorry, yeah. pain relief. It was totally useless. So one of the first research activities I did in my new position uh, was to do an audit of uh, prescribing and dispensing analgesia. So I did an audit of all the operations across all the specialities over a period of a month with a PhD student. And we found that only 30% were prescribed adequate analgesia. But worse than that, the nurses had decided that half of them didn't deserve the analgesic. Oh so dispensing 15%. Anyway, I made sure, I developed a simple instrument, a linear analog self-assessment for measuring pain so that the patients could record what they thought their pain was. And I made it quite clear on every ward round after an operating list that I was not to expect any of my patients to complain of pain. And they quickly um, realized, I'm a very good actor, by the way, and I can act <laughs> outrage and fierce, <laughs> terrorize them. We call <laughs> but, that a drama queen in yeah. fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and if I discovered uh, that any of my patients the following were in pain, I went through the roof. And they quickly learned 
from that. And of course, I have the support of the, my anesthetic colleagues who agree that pain control was appalling. And is it costly? Uh, is that why pain isn't... Nothing to do with cost no. of drugs. So, so cheap. So it's a psychological thing on judging how someone is it's in pain or not. It's obsolete idea that uh, opiates are bad for you and you're going to become addicted and it's going to suppress your oh, respiration. Yeah. And part of the problem is the nurses are taught that still. They're not on a modern medical uh, curriculum. And it is simply not true. The best analgesia is patient-controlled. And nowadays, if a patient has had a major operation, she has a, a cannula in her arm, and she, or I use she, but it can be he as well, can control how much opiate they take. I see. And as a result, they have better pain relief and less use of opiates. And do they recover quicker? Is that a part of the... Using I, I the analgesics properly? I think for me, and I bet a lot of women, we don't like to complain. And I always used to feel I was bothered. a bit bother guilty. Yeah, and I'd, I felt like I was bothering the nurses. I didn't want to ring that bell. So mm. I loved having to be in control of it because I just meant I, could, I, didn't, I wasn't bothering anyone. Um, outside of a sort of surgical environment, um, if you're somebody at home who is just suffering from pain, but you think, oh, I shouldn't go to the GP, uh, sort of low-level pain or maybe sort of ongoing chronic pain, but you don't really know what it is, and what, what would your advice be in that scenario? Um, number one, do not tolerate pain. It's not a sign of a weak character. And there's no such thing as uh, threshold. I have to change my whole lifestyle. <laughs> you should um, see my mum's handbag. <laughs> if, if, when we were little, you had to you had to see bone to get a plaster in our house, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or be bleeding to death. Yeah, I had to be seriously ill to get a day off school then. <laughs> so. Um, and fortunately, nowadays, uh, pain control is a specialist uh, subject. Yes, yeah, and indeed, there yeah. are specialists for um, pain control. And every teaching hospital will have such a specialist. But the issue is taking that specialization to the front line for conventional Nurses. everyday problems. I and think things like back gap. pain, I have so many friends, I've been through it myself with, you know, sciatic pain. but And people just spending their lives in agony a lot, waiting for MRI scans, waiting for, you know, it's a really, it's such a big issue, I think. Well, my wife, uh, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning this online, uh, about seven or eight years ago, she had major surgery to her neck, cord compression, and she had to have uh, two prosthetic vertebrae inside. Mm. So it's a big, big operation, and she was in a lot of pain. And it was in a private hospital. And in the end, I went in and sat with her to make sure she was getting the analgesia. I didn't trust anyone else. And I or, found or the first thing ask, I found, yeah. that the cannula for the pump was kinked, and not, it wasn't working. Oh, no. you know, so you need someone like to that, speak up for you working. and if, talk to I somebody about your pain. I had in the middle of the and... night uh, change the cannula. Yes, yeah. And mm. if it happened to my wife, the, the, the wife of a uh, famous professor <laughs> of surgery, you can imagine oh, no. <laughs> this is happening all over yes. the place. Yes, yeah, so you do have to speak up. So, Katie, when you, you've spoken to your dad mm. and you've, just, you've, you've got your head round the fact that you're, you've this is what it is, perimenopause, there is treatment for it. Did you take hormone replacement therapy? How did you? How yeah. were you treated? So what happened was the other symptom I hadn't mentioned was I then started getting very heavy bleeding. 
And I noticed my ankles were swelling as well. And we, we sort of had to investigate what that was all about. Um, and he, they, they wanted me to have um, the coil fitted, to, which offers progesterone and also stops the bleeding. And then an estrogen patch, um, which they prefer to give rather than a pill because... Right. Pills, or gel, yeah. You know, yeah. or gel, yeah, because, you know, it prevents clots. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. it's absorbed through the skin. Um, but because of my cesarean sections, I actually had a lot of scar tissue. So we, I couldn't manage with the coil. Um, and parallel to that at exactly the same time, after a lot of investigations, they suggested uh, that I needed a hysterectomy because the reason for my leg swelling was that the bulky womb was pressing on the nerve that was stopping right, the blood yeah. flowing. So progesterone stops the womb lining growing, doesn't it? That's one of the, without getting medical. Yeah. Uh, she, she had a bulky uterus from fibroids. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I had something called adenomyosis, which was when my, uh, which um, is, is not, it's not the same as endometriosis, but the womb lining was coming away and this mm, swelling and they right. were very concerned. So, after the hysterectomy, I then only need, and I now only need oestrogen um, because the progesterone was just to protect the womb lining. So without a womb, I yeah, didn't need it. So, and how did you feel about having a hysterectomy? Um, I was terrified. I stupidly did what everyone else does and I Googled it. Googled it. Yes, silly. And joined all these marvellous other Facebook groups who put the fear of God into me. Uh, Dad just then said, stop reading all that. <laughs> um, and I just thought, I just didn't, I actually felt like I didn't have a choice. But I trusted my surgeon. And I think you've just got to put faith in your surgeon. And I think because I've grown up with my father, it's a bit like, you know, you trust a pilot to fly a plane. You've got to just trust that yeah. they're going to do a good job. And I have to say it was the best thing I've ever done because I feel amazing. Um, I can cope with everything again. Uh, so, yeah, I've sort of got my life back. And as a eminent surgeon um, and a kind of expert in the area, so a lot yeah. of women, almost everyone asks me, and Trish and I have talked about this, Trish's mum died of breast cancer and you've not taken HRT. No. I do, I am on HRT. So from just from the horse's mouth, yes. can I'll you explain you the, the cancer I, risk? Um, as a spin-off from my interest in breast cancer, I became an expert on hormone replacement therapy. In fact, I was running an HRT clinic pretty much for breast cancer patients. And let me get certain things straight. Yes. Oestrogen does not cause breast cancer. Watch my lips. Oestrogen does not cause breast cancer. Now, simple things. The highest incidence of breast cancer is the older you are. So it's inverse correlation. The lower estrogens, the greater the incidence of breast cancer. The highest level of estrogens is during pregnancy. Right. And pregnancy seems to protect you from breast cancer to an extent. So there's the paradox. When I started uh, treating patients with advanced breast cancer before the days of modern uh, drugs like tamoxifen, we used estrogen and oestrogen would reduce the size of the cancer. So oestrogen does not cause breast cancer. Now, just recently, in fact, in December, we had the latest update of the uh, Women's Health Initiative, which is the largest randomized controlled trial of HRT 
or ERT. ERT is estrogen replacement therapy. Right. HRT is the combination of estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. So we got right up to date, uh, 17-year follow-up, very mature follow-up. And it shows unequivocally estrogen protects from breast cancer. So if you're on estrogen alone, then you will have a lower risk of breast cancer. Right. If you are on the combination, there is an increased risk. And in relative terms, um, it may be two times. That's relative risk. And it's relative risk of incidence, not deaths from breast cancer. Bearing in mind that 90% of these breast cancers are cured, so the excess mortality from combined HRT over 10 years is um, 0.9%. I'm glad you're very, very, very <laughs> low number. Out. But HRT reduces the risk of dying from other causes. Most important is osteoporosis. Yeah. HRT, ERT works. And HRT reduces the incidence yes, of dementia, protects, yeah. cardiovascular disease. We think there's a modest reduction in the risk of cardiovascular disease. So if you do the trade-off and you've got quality of life, unequivocal, length of life, zero-sum game. So my default position is why shouldn't this woman have HRT? Not why should she, why shouldn't she? And that's now, what you're treating. there are some exceptional cases where perhaps the risk uh, is greater than the benefit. And Katie and others of us are working together at a, a, an algorithm to get an app to work out the benefits and harms where you trade off the additional risk of uh, breast cancer, additional risk of thrombosis versus quality of life, uh, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, and so on. We want that to be a nap. That's really interesting. When, uh, where are you in that journey? Is it something well, we're going to be seeing soon? No. <laughs> no. Uh, well, the reason we've sort of actually sort of met in the middle now, Dad and I, is because my, because my background is marketing and PR, I'm all about talking very simple, easy to understand language. Um, you know, a lot of I understand a lot of what dad says and it makes sense to me because I spend hours listening and asking him to explain it. But, but women for, are confused. Yeah. And also in a very odd place to try and understand things when they're in the middle of the storm. Exactly. And also there's a lot of sensationalised headlines. So, you know, HRT yes. causes breast cancer in the, you know, whatever newspaper it is. That's it. Women just have a meltdown because they haven't got time to understand it. And even when they go to their doctors, they've got 10 minutes. And I must say that what I've realised is that doctors don't have mandatory training in perimenopause and menopause. And when the HRT um, sort of, when this report came out that it causes breast cancer, a lot of doctors were too nervous to prescribe it as well. So it wasn't just women being scared. So this is the original million women report. It yeah, was a flawed piece was, of data and research anyway, as far as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Uh, the million women's uh, study was an observational study, yeah. which is doesn't have the scientific purity, ac uh, accuracy as a randomised controlled yeah. trial. When I started the website, there was a wonderful woman um, who was on my Facebook group called Diane Danzibrink. And Diane is a menopause counsellor and, and psychologist. And, and she started this Make Menopause Matter um, petition, which now has about 
100,000 signatures on it. I've signed it. Yeah, thank you. We've all signed it. We've shared Great. it. We've socialed it. Yep. And the reason I'm, br- I'm bringing Diane up is because obviously her three campaign aims were uh, for doctors to have mandatory training, uh, to have it on the school curriculum, which it wasn't on, which it now is, um, and workplace policies as well. So basically, you know, Diane and I have been talking and another um, Dr. Louise Newson, who's a menopause GP, um, and dad and a few others. There's a wonderful colleague of dad's called Dr. Avram Blooming in, in the States, um, who's written the book Estrogen Matters, which is an amazing book. I'm Nearly finished a book by Matthew Seard. Absolutely wonderful. And not only have I got it on my Kindle, I decided I need to keep it for reference and annotation, so I've got a hard copy. Matthew Seard's, and it's called Rebel Ideas. And what he uh, gives many, many examples. People work in silos. They may be brilliant at their job, but there's no cross-fertilization with other aspects. Now, the the um, epidemiologists who are... Uh, That's the study of disease. Statisticians yeah. and epidemiologists yeah. are in a silo when it comes to talking about the risk and benefits. They don't know what the benefits are because they don't have cross-fertilization <laughs> from the women. Yeah. So this group we've set up is exactly the kind of group that Matthew Seard recommends that for cross-fertilization from different expertise. Yes. Yeah. And the biggest experts in this problem are the women suffering the symptoms. Who yes. <laughs> <laughs> no why, one talks yeah. to unless they're making fun of them for having hot flushes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so I, I sort of see myself as sort of representing the voices of all these thousands of women on, on my Facebook group and obviously on Diane's as well. Um, and um, Well, Diane's story is extraordinary. I mean, she nearly committed suicide. Diane, Her symptoms were extreme. She basically had, she had a hysterectomy and no one mentioned HRT to her and she was plunged straight into menopause and got to a very, very dark place. Mm. I mean, she's told her stories many times so she won't mind me saying. But Sorry, she... can I interrupt one second yeah. just to be precise? It's not the hysterectomy, it's the ophorectomy that oh, goes they're having through. her ovaries So removed. along with the hysterectomy, it's conventional to remove the ovaries as an opportunity to uh, yeah. prevent ovarian cancer. Mm. Yes. Which incidentally yeah. gets rid of all your issues. Yeah. And yes. so and she almost, you know, yeah. she said if she didn't have her dogs in the back seat of her car who barked at the moment where she was Yeah, she was gonna drive, drive into oncoming traffic. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and it's shocking and we hear this all the time. And actually, you know, it's no coincidence the highest rate of suicide in women. Forty five plus. Yeah, exactly. forty five to forty nine. So, so what you should do if you're in that age group, you feel in this way, is so they Go to Latte Lounge. There's a lot of information on your site and there's a lot of support. And also there's other women talking about what they're going through. Absolutely. And and the difference between us and it's killing me (laughs) is because I'm live and responsive 24 hours a day. So I always say to women, actually, just email me and I will put you in touch with whoever it is if I can. Um, And what Diane has is a fantastic, and, and Dr. Newson, is a, a menopause symptom checklist. There's 36 symptoms, aren't there, Trish? That we, yes, they're about yeah. 30, yeah, yeah. around yeah. that 34, I mean, 36. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be amazed. And I've learned, obviously, it's because we've got estrogen receptors all over our body. So when you're depleted <clears throat> all over, you know. So, yeah. and, and 
I, I wish we would stop talking about the word menopause because actually that's one day. It's slightly misleading, isn't well, it? It's yes, one day. It's, a, it's female hormone <laughs> deficiency is what we're talking about. Yeah, really, let's isn't talk about it? the Which ten years before. Ten years before, exactly. Yeah, and I think I, the other thing with the word menopause as well is it, it doesn't feel stylish. No. The whole <laughs> yeah. thing feels bad, <laughs> and actually, it's not bad. It's once, once you get the right treatment the right time it's actually a really brilliant time of your life because I, I, I agree you, with you, you I think you can reinvent yourself uh, my 15 year old Ben came home from school this year uh, well actually it was last year and he says I learnt about menopause in school today mum and he said oh high five to that school yeah and he goes I was the only one that could answer every question oh. <laughs> brilliant Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Teens and hormones. So I've got three girls and a boy. So uh, all the estrogen is coming in with my elder two, who are 17 and 16, and all my estrogen is going out. <laughs> the other end. At, at the same time. So mm. it's a kind of perfect storm of hormones in, hormones out. And then my son, who he's just so lovely. He's 13 and almost overnight he's shot up and he's got little bits of acne form oh. on his face. He's suddenly not yeah. my tiny little boy anymore. He's suddenly mm. a teenager and um, he has an attitude accompanying that. Um, what's going on? Because it starts earlier, doesn't it? It does, yeah. We've just sort of done a bit of research about this, haven't we? And uh, actually things start happening around the age of sort of six to eight. It's something to do with the adrenal glands getting their bodies ready for um, puberty. Uh, that's really early age and you, it's yeah. probably actually not surprising when you think about it because they do go from these lovely little you know yeah cookie smelling gorgeous little things sniffing their heads all the time suddenly being a little bit smelly when they get to about seven or eight years old especially when they're all in, you know having a party together and running around so <laughs> but you know um so so that's where it starts and then obviously um once the reproductive hormones start kicking in the estrogen starts arriving the testosterone, testosterone. it has a really profound influence on their behavior as well as their uh, body shape um you know estrogen is obviously stimulating the growth of women breasts in young girls, uh, determines the shape of their figure. And then boys, it's testosterone is sculpting the body um, and shaping their features, body hair. Neuroscience has kicked in that's saying that uh, it's not just the hormones that make them behave in these slightly irrational ways. It's also their brain maturation, which doesn't really finish until late teens or early 20s. But the big thing I think really, the biggest problem is sleep, don't you think? Because yeah. it's... Yeah. Their melatonin is all over the hormone yes, melatonin I, um, is all over the place. For the family column in the Sunday Times, I spoke to Mandy Gurney, who runs the children's sleep clinic. And basically, as they get to teenage, their sleep per 
personality completely changes. So the melatonin levels, ours are optimum for us going to bed at 10 o'clock. Theirs are optimum for going to bed at 1 a.m. We can get up, they can't get up. And if you combine that with whether they're owls or larks, generally, it really throws them sleep, lack of sleep, mm. quality like of sleep. permanently jet-lagged. Yes, they, and, and that's a physiological change that... People get very cross with teenagers lying in bed and I always think you can't really get cross. You've got to kind of go with the flow on it and just make sure that everything else around that is quite healthy. Um, you combine that with the, the neuroscience of the brain being rebuilt plus all of the hormone coming in and changing and it is quite a lot going on for mm. them. So we could perhaps be a bit more, I think we could be a little bit more empathetic with some yeah. of their more illogical yeah. um, behaviour. Yeah. The best book that we found on this, should anyone want to do a bit of reading, is the Vivian Parry book, um, The Truth About Hormones. But that is actually really old. There hasn't been much science no. around teenagers and hormones since then. The Sleep Clinic has some information and obviously Steve Pink has done a bit of research around teenagers and hormones as well. But your Kit went through quite, yeah, quite my, a tough yeah, my, year, didn't he, with son, it? I think he, he had his sort of last year, really, where he was just falling asleep in class all the time. You know, his teacher's but it was really hard for him to kind of absorb information in classes. And he's sixteen. Uh, he was he's sixteen now, but he was he just I think he just had a really tough year, and I think it really was this this perfect storm of the hormones and you know the sort of brain maturation thing. And um, I just wanted to mention it because he. He, you know, he was sort of that grumpy teenager, having been the most delightful, gorgeous boy. Um, and now it's like he's completely back. He's come back. So the reason I'm telling you this, um, I'm hoping he won't mind me sharing this, is that he's just like his old self and extra, yeah. extra, extra. He's sleeping really well. His grades have, have gone way back up and he's just a really happy young man. So I know that's not going to be the journey for everybody, but, you know, it, it was a really worrying time. And uh, don't, yeah. Don't despair. But I think the advice has to be on anything that you're doing around their nutrition or um, any of these issues. Obviously, see your GP because there is advice out there. It's the same as the stuff for us. Healthy diet, lifestyle, exercise, um, you know, all of those things. Low sugar diet. Managing your anxiety. Yeah, exactly. So it is the same, but it's not always so easy for teens to you do any You can talk to school as well. Mm. I think it's always worth, you're not bothering people to say, can I see the head of form and just have a quick chat mm. about things that I think are happening without as long as you've talked to They must be so used to it. I mean, these are must be the experts because they are year after year after year dealing with this kind of thing. And it goes on, really, this change, this giant puberty is this huge event, but this goes on to about 23, 24. So you're in for the long haul, go with the flow a bit, be a bit patient. I found being a bit more patient around it sometimes works. So we're now at the very last bit of our podcast in which we have three little things that we talk about, something that's changed or really impacted your life this week, what we're trying, something interesting that we're trying, and just a little bit of nostalgia as well that took us back to <laughs> some time in the past. So Lorraine, I don't know what yours are, tell me. Well, this week my life has been changed by a, a trend on the domestic front I'm not keen on. Um, I'm trying to stop it. My eldest has started to call me Lorraine instead of <laughs> mum. 
I find it hugely and do you disrespectful. Just think Lorraine Kelly's some, somehow arrived in the house. <laughs> I do look around and think, who is, she, who is she talking to? Listen, I know they're trying to form their own identity, but mum is my identity. <laughs> That's who I am. Please don't call me. She says, Lorraine, who has eaten my dark chocolate from the fridge? I say, I don't know who has eaten your dark chocolate from the fridge. But it wasn't Lorraine, it was mum. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, something that uh, I have started reading this week that I am trying is... Um, it's a really great book, actually. It's called The Best, Most Awful Job in the World by Catherine May. And it's a collection of essays about motherhood. And it's it's not really about the practical bit. It's about the kind of questioning all the emotions and everything it means about your body and who you are and why you are this person and where you stand in this being a mum and growing older. It's it's really, really, it was very useful. And I, I didn't expect to read so much of it. And I, I missed my tube stop was <laughs> reading it. A mind nostalgia noodling this week came from a dog being in a restaurant. It's very annoying. I don't agree with dogs. I'm a huge dog lover fan, but, but I don't, you don't agree like them in a restaurant. No, oh, I don't mind. I like it. What didn't you like about it? Well, it was it? sniffing my... Something was sniffing my ankle. And it was very strange. And I thought, oh, it's so tiny. It must be a rat. It wasn't a rat. It was this little furball thing with spiky ears. And I went, oh, it's a gremlin. It's a gremlin. Oh, yes. And the young person with me, a younger PR, said, well, what's a gremlin? I said, what do you mean, what's a gremlin? <laughs> And then Mabel and I consequently watched the film. Oh. And actually, it is not a film that you want a nine-year-old, eight, it's nearly nine-year-old to watch. It was on recently. It's quite five. scary. It's <laughs> so my dip into nostalgia has been uh, the gremlin, which has made me check under the bed, actually, before I go to sleep. It is quite traumatic. scary. Bit Don't traumatic. Google it. Don't Google gremlin. Oh. What's so, happened to you, Trish? Well, um, I watched The Game Changer on Netflix, which probably most people have seen or heard about already. But if you haven't, it's about this UFC fighter. You know, UFCs are, I think it's oh, a bit yes. sort of like Mixed ultimate fighting. ultimate fighting, who talks to scientists and athletes about finding the optimal diet for health and performance. It's amazing. He talks to all these incredible bodybuilders, weightlifters. Are you going to become a cage fighter? <laughs> I could have a go. What's happened is I've watched it with Neil. Neil the ultimate carnivore and of course the, the, the answer to this is it's about a plant-based diet and it's remarkable you find out so much interesting information so of course Neil now has decided it's all about plant-based diet having lived with me a yeah. vegetarian yes. for 30 yeah. odd years he Thanks, is suddenly Neil. the expert in it um, but it's great I'm really pleased actually that he's finally he won't listen to me then what I'm trying and you can probably see it's not actually been very successful a shampoo bar I've decided to give it a go. You know those bars. What's she talking about now? <laughs> shampoo bar. You know Don't know what drink a shampoo it, bar is. No. It, no, not a drink. Like a, a soap bar, but it's shampoo. Oh, I see. It's all oh. about natural ingredients, saving the environment. You, you haven't got use any, a bar of soap on your head. Use a bar of soap oh, on your head, but obviously it's a shampoo bar, and it's not looking good. <laughs> <at the moment. laughs> it doesn't work. Is what you're saying well, to me? It, but the idea of these things is that they're very obviously sustainable because there's no plastic packaging, full of natural lovely Maybe ingredients. Maybe you just need to try another one. I, well, do you know what I need to do is I need to stick with it because apparently it does take quite a period of adjustment. I'm going to give it a go. Does but it, it not slip out of your hand in the... No, this is what's amazing. It's it's quite dry. It's not soapy and oh. slippy because it doesn't have that sort of, it's called, I think, um, sodium laurel sulfate, which is the stuff that makes it all lathery and slippy. Anyway, that's what I'm trying. I'm going to keep at it. So we'll report back on that. And then my my nostalgia noodling, which you mentioned about UFC fighter outfit. Do you remember the old thong leotard? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, So unhygienic. Oh, well, it was more that you wore it over a pair of leggings, but 
people, well, I say you, I certainly didn't wear one. Did you wear one? I did have a, th- a, th- a thong leotard that I would wear as a top. Yes, you wear it. Yeah. Oh, okay. But you could wear Pop, it over your... Um, Gym leggings. So, do you remember you'd be in a step class doing all your step, like another nostalgia Fonda. thing? And then there'd be girls in these like bright fluorescent yes, coloured thong, are, yeah. thong at the yeah. back, leotard over the. Oh my god! Jamie Lee Curtis in that know, film. She was yes, in her thong she was. Leg yeah, warmers, exactly. Yeah. All are that. you? What are you threatening to do here? Wear one? No, <laughs> exactly. I don't. I don't, I don't want know. to see that. I think I was just in a gym class and thinking. About how oh, ridiculous! <laughs> I think we got a step out, and we were doing a little bit of step, and it just took me out back <laughs> to those days of thinking, "Oh my God, what were they thinking?" Anyway, they've hopefully they've disappeared. Hopefully they have never to be seen in a fashion again. graveyard. Fashion graveyard. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Postcards from Midlife. If you enjoyed it, uh, please do rate and review it on whichever platform you downloaded it from. And we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.